each and every week that we watch this video, I still am uh, challenged by that question of will you? That normal has changed. Um, church has changed. Uh, society has changed. Will we? And that's really what we're trying to look through and think about uh, as we are watching. Over the last couple of weeks you've been with us, we've been watching the church birth uh, before our eyes uh, in Scripture for us to be reminded of the fact that God did it then and God can continue to do it now. Um, and we need to be reminded of that. Uh, we need to be uh, reminded that God is still working. God's still calling people into ministry and God's still doing miracles. Um, and that's something that we need to be reminded of today. I invite you to make that your prayer, is that we still call for the Holy Spirit to move upon us, that we still call for the Holy Spirit to, to, to move and guide us into the communities and the neighborhoods uh, so that people who are hurting are able to be mindful of the fact that there is still hope in Jesus Christ. Uh, many of you are part of our prayer ministry, and we send out prayer blasts, and as you are, you probably are aware uh, that earlier this past week, um, my father became ill, diagnosed with COVID and um, was, I mean, he, he, he was sick. And uh, then about Thursday, uh, my mother had already become ill. So we anticipated uh, that she was going to be diagnosed with that as well. And so um, on Thursday, she became a little more seriously, significantly ill as well. And so we were kind of working through that uh, as a family. Uh, it's just hard right now because you can't be with uh, your parents uh, or your family members. And so we went to bed on Thursday. Um, my sister uh, lives near my parents. And so we had told them to uh, told her to call us if anything uh, became more significant. And so Thursday night we were in bed and the phone rang, I guess about midnight. Claire answered and both of us in that moment made the assumption that this was going to be a call for my parents. Um, it didn't take long to realize that the phone call was about her mother. Um, her mother is um, also now diagnosed with COVID uh, and is uh, significantly ill as well. And so we were talking to hospice um, that night, at least, just trying to see what, um, what was going on. They allowed Claire to FaceTime her so that she could see her and all of that. Um, all of that to say is we spent a good bit uh, Thursday night up, uh, as you can imagine. And uh, Friday morning... I get up and I knew that uh, Joanne Alber was being um, taken off of the ventilator at the hospital. And so the only thing I could do would go to the hospital. I can't go in and be with the family. They were blessed to be able to be there with her. Um, so the only thing I could do would be go to the hospital. And so many of you are part of our prayer challenge. Um, I took that literally, praying and circling. And so I circled the hospital. And as I circled the hospital, I was getting text from, uh, please don't yell at me for texting and driving. I was, I was going slow uh, as I drove around, but uh, I was getting texts from Natalie about Lauren Love, who was not feeling well, and we were trying to communicate on that. Um, 
I was texting my sister, trying to check on her. We were waiting for a FaceTime call from Claire's mother. Um, my best friend, who is my accountability partner, um, he's a pastor of a church up in North Georgia. Uh, he became ill with COVID um, as a result of doing a funeral for a congregant of his. And so he was, he was sick. And um, his wife, my, my wife's best friend, she, she became ill. And so we were texting with them, trying to check on them. So you can kind of imagine what's happening as I'm driving around uh, the hospital. And I texted Claire and I said, I'm just tired of sickness. And her response back to me was, remember, we have hope. That's all she said. I hadn't forgot that we had hope, but she reminded me in that moment of something that I believe that there are a lot of people in our community, a lot of you in the church in this moment, we need to be reminded we have hope. We have hope of Jesus Christ. Don't, us, don't let us forget that. And we live in a community of people who are, who are hurting right now. I texted with Donna McSpadden and said, I don't know how people go through this without a faith community. And yet we live in a world where most are going through it without a faith community. And we have a message to share. Right? We have a message to be able to tell this hurting world that there is hope in Jesus Christ. So we've been looking at Scripture. Now, I loved Al. You asked Ayanna what her favorite Bible story was, and yours was the Exodus and Moses. Uh, in the Old Testament, I love the person of Joseph. Joseph is a person, if you go back and read his story, he is one who never sits and complains. He doesn't whine. He hears and sees things that happen, and he always asks the question of what's God doing? I, I think that a lot of us need to take more of Joseph's attitude uh, as we go through uh, this pandemic of what is it that God is doing. In the New Testament, I have two favorite stories. I mean, we all have Jesus. That's our favorite story. But besides Jesus, uh, our two fav- my two favorite stories is I, I, I love the woman at the well in John. Uh, there's so many dimensions of her story that, that we can learn from. And I've preached from her story quite a few times. But I also love Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch uh, that comes into us in Acts. And I've preached to you about that story as well. It's one of those where there's great depth. You can pull multiple sermons from Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch that we find in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Philip, you know, last week we looked at Peter, and Peter um, was kind of questioning God. He needed to hear over and over and over again from God that what I, what, what I am asking you to do, what feels abnormal to you, uh, what I say that is, is pure, don't call unpure. And so here we see Philip, and I want you to connect it to this idea that we have space, that God gave Peter space, and here we see Philip working with someone else as they ask questions. And so starting in verse eight, I mean chapter 8, verse 26, I'm going to read. It says, an angel from the Lord spoke to Philip. At noon, take the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he did. Meanwhile, an Ethiopian man was on his way home from Jerusalem, where he had come to worship. He was a eunuch and an official responsible for the entire treasury of Candace. Candace is the title given to the Ethiopian queen. 
He was reading the prophet Isaiah while sitting in his carriage. The spirit told Philip, approach this carriage and stay with it. And I, and I love how Philip was attuned in this moment to God's spirit leading him and going where God was leading him to go. I think that's one of the things that I hope that those of you who are participating in the prayer challenge, I hope that you are more, you're becoming more attuned to the Holy Spirit. You're more attuned to what God is doing in your life. Philip, all the way through most of the time when you see Philip, Philip is going to places that are overlooked. We know that earlier he had been in Samaria, and Samaria, if you don't know, is in relation to the, the people who are Jewish, Samaria was um, not a good place to be. It was not a good group of people. They had kind of watered down worship in their minds, and so they worshiped differently, and, and, and they did not like the people of Samaria, but yet we see Philip go. Philip is seen as one who helps distribute the food equally among uh, the women, both Greek and Hebrew. Uh, and so here he is trying to make sure that there's equality in this multi-diverse community. Later, we're going to see Philip go into a community that is uh, hated by his people. Over and over again, you're going to see Philip going into places that are left out and overlooked. And here in this story, once again, what we see is we feel, see Philip reach out to the quote-unquote outsider person that nobody would want to deal with and so let's keep reading in verse 30 running up to the carriage Philip heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah he asked do you really understand what you're reading the man replied without someone to guide me how could I then he invited Philip to climb up and sit with him this was the passage of scripture he was reading like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent and so he didn't open his mouth in his humiliation, justice was taken away from him. Who can tell the story of his descendants because his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch, eunuch asked Philip, tell me, about whom does the prophet say this? Is he talking about himself or someone else? Starting with that passage, Philip proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. And this is what I love about this story, and this is why I say there's so much depth to it. I want you all to realize this man is from Ethiopia. This is about a thousand miles from Jerusalem and he had come to worship and he was on his way home so this is in my mind a once in a lifetime experience for this man from Ethiopia because I mean traveling a thousand miles for worship we don't do that very often right and so this this was like this was a big deal in this man's life what's more by the Jewish law this man was ritually unclean he was Ethiopian. He was in the court of, of the queen. He had some point in time, we don't want to talk about this, at some point in time in his life he had been castrated. That was a common practice in that time. But it was created a physical condition in this man that, that would not allow him to 100% participate in worship. we got to realize that. He was a male in the court of a female leader in a time of patriarchy. He was black and he was a foreigner. He was from Ethiopia. Everything about this man's life screams outsider. Everything about this man's life would scream, you pass him on by. 
everything about this man's life. If Philip was living by the rules, if Philip was doing what everybody would assume he would do, Philip would have just kept on going. And I hear that part and I think, how many times do we do that? How many times do we box somebody in? How many times do we categorize someone like we talked about last week? How many times do we make a decision to just pass on by? Not get involved. Overlook. Challenge yourself when you see Philip and how he responds. Led by the Spirit, Philip goes up and says, well, do you even understand what you're reading? How can I, the man says. How can I if somebody explains it to me? And here's the part of the story that I really want to emphasize today. In the past, when I have talked about this, one of the things that I loved about this story was how, P, how, how Philip ran to the chariot. I don't even know if y'all remember that sermon that I did one time about Philip, Philip embracing the call that God had put on his life. Because how do we typically respond? I don't know, God. I'm not so sure that I'm the one. Um, I think you could probably find somebody else. Uh, we're much more hesitant. And so we, I've, I've emphasized that part of Philip's story, that he runs, he embraces this moment that God has led him to. But I don't want us to just focus on the fact that he ran to this. I want you to focus on what does Philip do at this moment in the story? Look at the scriptures. How can I, the man says, if nobody will come alongside? Philip climbs in the carriage. Talk about a heavy moment. That's a heavy moment when you stop and realize what Philip does. Philip saddles in with a man who is a socially unwelcome man from Ethiopia. He gets in his life. He gets in and invests his time. He climbs in. He listens to this man's questions. He gives space to this man so that he can go on the journey with him. So many of us, we want to make a difference in the world. How many of you? I mean, like how many of you would like at the end of your life to know that you made a difference in this world? I don't see very many hands that aren't up. We want to make a difference in the world. What I want you to see in this story is sometimes making a difference in the world is as simple as climbing in somebody's chariot. Getting in and just saying, you know what? Let me give you some space to ask some questions. I don't have to have all the answers, but I'm willing to go along with you. As Al alluded to earlier, I've, I've been now with the church for almost five years. And I want to tell you a story about one of our staff meetings. One of our staff meetings we had, this was a couple of years ago. Uh, Jennifer may remember this. We were sitting around the table. We were doing the study. If y'all remember a couple of years ago, we did a study on race. And we were doing the study as a staff on race. And Michael was our worship leader at that time. And we were talking about something. And Michael began to share with us that um, he wakes up every day. Every day with an acute awareness that he is a black man. And that 
that acute awareness makes him think about where he goes, what he does, how he acts, how he dresses. And I sat there, and I'm just, I sat there in that staff meeting, and I thought, you know, I don't have, I don't know that I've ever woken up. I don't know that I've ever woken up with an acute awareness that I'm a white man. I don't think I have. The conversations that we had around the table that day and many days after, where Michael would share with us, or Jessica when she was alive, Angie, who's serving down in our fellowship hall. Sometimes I now have them with Al. Sometimes I've had those with Dwayne. Those conversations where it gives me space to ask questions. They don't judge me and I don't judge them. And they've helped me to see something that was plain that I couldn't see on my own. And I don't want you to think it's about that in the moment as much as it is what I want you to think about today is who has come in your chariot. See, I feel like in that moment that they have been able to come into my chariot and help me as a person. Who has come into your chariot? Who's helped you learn about yourself and about God and about how you relate to each other? Philip climbed into this Ethiopian man's chair, and I want y'all to know his life was changed because he asked this question, how can I understand if nobody will explain it to me? And Philip begins to explain the whole story of Jesus Christ. And he was instantly changed. Look, go into, go into the scripture. Look at verse 38. As, as, as Philip explained Jesus to him, says he ordered that the carriage halt. Both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water where Philip baptized him. What would happen? That's what I'm inviting you to think about today. What would happen? What would happen, church, if we made the decision to actually climb in to someone's chariot? If church wasn't about us, and we made the decision we were going to climb into someone else's chariot. What would happen if we said, you know what? We're going to climb into the chariots of our children. Give them space to talk about their experiences. Give them space to be able to ask questions about God. Not be afraid to talk about the things that we don't know and we don't necessarily understand, but to give them space to be able to explore it themselves. What would happen, church, if we made a commitment that we were going to get into the chariot of someone who maybe looks different than us? Their skin may be lighter, their skin may be darker, but we were willing to come in and say, you know what, I'm not going to have knee-jerk reactions to something anymore. I want to, I want to explore and I want to learn about your experiences in life. What would happen, church, if we committed ourselves to actually coming in and getting involved in each other's lives, committing to being able to talk about a God who loves and created all of us, died for all of us, 
You know what I think? This is, this is how, you know, if we did that, you know what I imagine would happen? A generation of young people who are skeptic about church might have their hearts softened to God. This morning I saw somebody post, a friend of mine posted this on Facebook. It's a younger person. And they said they wanted to post this for the church. And they said, my generation doesn't care if the institution survives. Listen to them. My generation doesn't care if the institution survives. I want to know that the institution cares. Do y'all hear that? I don't care if the institution survives. I just want to know that the institution cares. What would happen? I can imagine that a whole generation of skeptics, their hearts would be softened. I can imagine that teen suicide and depression would go down. Why? Because there are a group of people who are willing to come alongside and say, you know what, we want you to know that you are cared for. I'm not going to try to figure out why you may not feel cared for. I just want you to know that you are cared for. We spend so much time trying to sit and, and think about, let's, let's study. And I, don't get me wrong, I believe we do need to study Scripture. We need to study and talk about it. But that is not all we need to do. We need to get in the chariot. We need to climb in. Invest in the next generation. I imagine what would happen is that you would see whole structures overturned. Systemic racism could go away. Because you would see situations and institutions transformed. I believe you would see families in the preschool and families in our soccer program that would be absolutely blown away if we would not just leave it up to Lori, but we would say we're going to go and we're going to climb into these families' lives and invest in them. If God asked you, if God leads you down the road to Gaza, it says, get in the chariot. Who would be in it? Would it be the neighbor that's down the street that you don't like? Would it be the family member that drives you nuts? Would it be the parents and the families of our preschool and our soccer program? Would it be the kids at Smith Barnes or Stockbridge High School? We cannot just sit in this building or sit online. We got to climb in. We got to invest. And I know that you can do it because I see you do it. I see you care for each other. We just got to go out the walls. We got to invest in our community. Let's pray. Most gracious God, Help us have the courage to follow Philip's example. Help us to climb in. Help us to not be afraid of giving people space to ask questions, to not be afraid of not knowing the answer, but to be emboldened by your spirit to say we'll figure it out together. Lord, for those in this room and those who are joining us online, 
Maybe today there is someone who feels more like the Ethiopian eunuch, excluded. But the power in his life that spoke to him was the fact that he was included. And so I pray for that person this morning who feels as though you can maybe love everybody else, but you can't love them. May they feel your loving embrace right this moment. But for all of us who profess Jesus Christ already to be the Lord of our life, I pray we really struggle with that question of will we climb in? Who are we called to climb in with?